This is Tom Vargelettis with the Full-Time Real Estate Photographer Podcast. Got another special interview episode with you guys today. We are going to have on the show a friend of mine. His name is Mauricio. This was actually a photographer whose name came up in an earlier interview with Kristen Weekly. So we're going to be talking about that just a little bit. You'll hear her name mentioned. If you have no idea what we're talking about, you could actually skip back to the earlier interview because Mauricio is a beginning photographer and he's just getting started doing real estate photography. Hasn't been doing it that long, hasn't been doing too much of it, but he has worked with Kristen Weekly before. So we're going to hear things from the perspective of a photographer new to the real estate game. We're also going to go through a little tips and tricks and things that I do because, you know, I want to help Mauricio save some time and make a little bit more money when he's out there doing his photo shoot. So without further ado, let's hear it from Mauricio. Could you please introduce yourself for all our listeners at home? My name is Mauricio Gavilanes, and I have, over the course of the past year or two, started real estate photography, kind of dipping my toes into it and learning and just enjoying it. You're just starting out as a hobby, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And just two years? A little under that. You've done photography before that, right? For about two years. For about, oh, two years before or two years total? Total. Wow. So you're like brand new to photography in general. For the most part, yeah. I've liked taking pictures and photography as a concept since probably high school, but I really didn't get into it until I got my hands on a decent camera and started taking pictures for work. What made you decide to actually get started? Needed to for work and then just got curious and then just kept expanding from there. Okay, it was a work thing, huh? And what were you doing for your work? I work at a nonprofit language school in Boston. We need more marketing material, basically. So needed to take pictures of our classes, of our students and our teachers and our staff and everything. And then I guess I got the bug. Now, you've been doing that for your work, taking pictures for marketing purposes. What do you do outside of that? Like we're starting to get into professional photography. So you're doing some real estate on the side. Are you doing anything else as well? Yes, I've been doing headshot photography as well. At work? And not through work. My wife is a professional singer and I started doing pictures for her and her friends and then they just kept asking for more. And I really liked it. And then I realized that I really enjoyed photography and I enjoyed all aspects of it. So I would go out for walks and take pictures. I would, you know, anything that I could take a picture of, I would try to. And then I started getting into real estate photography as well. What made you make the move from casual hobby photography to real estate specifically? So I've been interested in all types of photography. And when an opportunity came up, a friend of mine is a real estate agent and she asked if I wanted to take some pictures and I got excited about it. And then I started watching videos on how to do it and then just started and really enjoyed it and just kept doing it. Awesome. Do you remember who your first real estate client was? Yes. Kristen Weekly. Oh, I know Kristen. Actually, you probably listened to that episode. We had Kristen on the podcast and she brought you up. So she was your first real estate photography client, your first paying client. How did that happen? How did you first meet her? Did you know her already? Yes. And I knew that she was a real estate agent and she would sometimes show me, obviously, her listings and stuff like that. And then she knew that I was getting into photography. Then we just started talking about real estate photography and it just went from there. Awesome. Do you have other real estate photography clients? Other friends, really, that are real estate agents or people who are selling their houses 
for sale by owner. And so I am often looking for any opportunity to practice and develop my skills. So for sale by owner. So what are you calling the homeowner? Just through friends. All through friends. Friends, family, friends of friends. Yeah. So as far as marketing goes, it's just sphere of influence, just people that you know and people that they know. Okay. How many photo shoots are you doing? Not very many. I would say maybe about one a month, sometimes two a month. Sometimes I don't do anything for a couple months. And that's like of all the photography that you're doing, maybe one, maybe two a month, right? Or just real estate. Just real estate. That's great. So that's a small part of your business. How much time are you putting into it? A lot. (laughs) Because I'm trying to develop my photography in general. So I will take pictures of my apartment. I will take pictures of my wife, my friends, take pictures of anything I can. (laughs) Okay. So you're putting a lot of practice. How much time do you put into like marketing or networking, trying to get clients? Very little, very little. Right now, I feel like I'm still trying to develop my skills. I still have a full-time job. I do see this as right now a hobby that I would like to transition into something more professional and something that will generate some revenue through it, but mostly just get my pictures out there. Okay. So it's more like a passion project right now. It sounds like you're not super confident in your photography skills. Why? I think I could do better. There are times that I see my pictures and I realize... I should have seen that. You know, I see my pictures and I realize that I could have done something differently. And so I just want to keep developing my eye. And also, I think right now, if I try to turn this into a business, it would be a very low paying business for me, just Mm -hmm. with the turnaround that it takes me to process all my photos. How long is a while? So if I do a photo shoot, it would take me about one to two days to get just one set of pictures together. And that's if I focus on it. Exclusively? Exclusively. Okay. So... I think I can't really generate enough revenue off of that. So I'm learning how to streamline. So during the photo shoot, how are you conducting it? Are you doing handheld stills? Like you're doing one shot, you're doing HDR, using flash? I need to learn more about flash. But for the most part, I will pick one picture. I'll do bracketing photography and then pick the one that I feel like came out the best. And if something needs to get adjusted, then I'll blend a couple of pictures together. But I really try to just focus on one picture and get it right. You're using single ambient exposures. Have you used flash on your real estate shots? And how was your experience with that? I think it's really going to be very helpful. I need to practice a little bit more to kind of make sure things are smooth and it's not very obvious that I'm using flash. Yeah, that's right. If you're using the flash, it really can overpower the image and then you get this weird high key Let's talk about photography technique for a minute. So what I do is I'm actually using ambient and flash for almost every single photo that I take. There's a super fast way to process it through it too. So this is like free public knowledge. You could actually go on YouTube right now. Some really good tutorials are out there by, you could look up Rich Baum over in California. Then there's Nathan Cool, and there's a bunch of others. A couple of people in England that I like to watch. And they use this technique where you're using a tripod. You set your camera, you take your ambient exposure and you want a proper ambient exposure, right? You want a really good, clean image because you rely on that heavily. And then you take a separate flash frame, but your camera hasn't moved at all. So when you go to actually edit your photos later, you can blend them in Photoshop and you can auto align them and use the flash colors and some of the flash, like the brightness and that crisp, clean look. And you can use the ambient natural light and the natural shadows that are there too. There's some really cool techniques for doing that. So I used to just do all ambient. 
when I started, everything was HDR. Yeah, I don't think I could do a photo shoot without a flash anymore. It's challenging and it has to be sunny. You have to be there at the right time of day. And so that makes it very difficult also for the real estate agent because we need to coordinate a perfect schedule and it's not convenient for the homeowner, the real estate agent. And like I said, I've used flash for some of my photography, but I need to get better at it. I need to get quicker at it. So. How long does it take you to do a photo shoot? It depends. Um, sometimes I find that I'm a bit of a perfectionist. So if I notice something isn't right, then I need to fix it. And so by the time I've cleaned out a room, you know, there goes another five minutes, 10 minutes. So sometimes when that's the case and I need to adjust a lot of things, I could be at a place for an hour and a half. Just doing photos? Not videos, not anything else, just the photos. Now, if the place is all set up, I'm not having any issues with the light under an hour, I would say. So you're doing a lot of styling too, huh? If it's taking you even 30, 45 minutes to do your average house, you're taking what, 25, 30 images, something like that, right? Something like that, yeah. Over here, we're out in Massachusetts and our MLS gives us a limit of 30 photos. We're actually high if you look nationwide. A lot of MLSs will have like 15, 20, something like that. Are you using a tripod? Yeah, that's been working out well. And also sometimes if rooms are small, then it takes me a while to find the right angle and try 20 different angles just to see what's going to make the room look best. And so that still takes me a little bit of a while. And that's why I'm looking for opportunities to keep practicing. Are you getting paid? Yes. So are you getting paid a fair rate? I'm not sure. <laughs> I think the rate is fine. I think in part because I think my friends don't want to take advantage and they know that it's worth a lot. For example, with Kristen, we had an agreement where if she uses my photos, then she'll pay me. And then she'll pay me what she thinks is fair, what she kind of pays other people. And so that also makes me feel more comfortable because I feel like there's less pressure on me. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. It's still a learning experience for me. But if it does work out, she likes it, she uses it, then I get paid. So you must have made some money on that last one over in Malden, right? Some of the exteriors... We had like bright, bright sunlight coming in, casting these harsh shadows. I think she used your exteriors. Okay. I've done a few in Malden for her. I saw the exteriors. I was like, what? Those aren't my photos. <laughs> and I called her. I was like, hey, what happened? That's another thing that I have found also to be a great way to transition into this field. There's been a lot of times when using Kristen Weekly, for example, she's said, this is what I need. This is what I don't have. Or my photographer came on a rainy day, so the interior looks great, but instead of having to Photoshop a lot. Yeah, get a natural yeah. sky. She didn't want the sky replacements. Getting paid if she likes the photos. You know what? We got to get you paid no matter what happens, because inevitably you get people that don't like your photos, but you still did the work. Right. You still did a lot of work. But after you take those photos, how long does it take you? You said it takes you a couple days to edit just like exclusively. Are you just using Lightroom? Are you using Photoshop or? Lightroom and Photoshop, yeah. And I actually have a Sony camera, so I'm thinking of switching over to Capture One to process okay. my photos. I've heard the color is better in, for Sony cameras on Capture One. Are you shooting in JPEG? I am shooting in RAW. Shooting in RAW? Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've heard that. I've heard stuff like that about video and some people go crazy over color science and JPEG, but for raw on a color calibrated monitor. That's what I've been hearing. I have a friend who was like my mentor when I was first getting into this and he helped me select my cameras and everything. And we always talk about our photography and he has the same camera now. And I remember getting a message from him on Instagram, just like saying, you have to get onto Capture One. I just switched over. Now I want to go back and change all of my photos. 
So, and he shoots in RAW as well, and I might switch over at some point. I haven't tried it yet, though, so I don't know. Well, it's worth trying it out. Does that work just as seamlessly with Photoshop, I wonder? I believe you could use Photoshop with Capture One. And some people say it looks like it just has higher saturation, but then I've heard a lot of other people say that it's actually the color profiles are a lot better for Sony's. So For Sony cameras. Yeah. yeah. Now, when you're going through your edits, you're using Photoshop and Lightroom. What are you using Photoshop for primarily? Sometimes cloning stuff out, sometimes doing blends. Are you using the auto HDR? Usually manually doing it. Do you use a Blendif? I don't think I do. <laughs> you don't do Blendif? Do you use different blending modes? Not that often. I find that what I'm doing, it's easier for me to just, you know, a square window. I could just change that pretty easily. But no, I haven't explored Photoshop that much. Yeah. Something that really helps me is to watch a lot of YouTube tutorials. Stuff that I already know, but I just like to see how other people do it. And I actually learned about Blend If. I don't remember who it was. There's a lot of photographers that have done it for sky replacements. Like if you get on YouTube right now, search fast sky replacement or sky replacement easy. You know, the one that comes to my mind, it was like just a landscape with two trees on it. You know, how can we do this quickly and easily? And you can use blend if it's a slider. And instead of having to painfully paint in a mask or use your pen tool, it seamlessly blends in. It's really cool. That's how I've been learning about photography in general is YouTube videos. It's been invaluable. Just the stuff that I've learned thanks to this technology has just been amazing. When it comes to Photoshop in particular, I find that I see someone do it. It looks easy. I try to do it and I'm getting ready to break my computer. <laughs> Can't replicate the results. A couple times a week, there's a YouTube channel that I follow. It's called PixMPerfect. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I've seen it. In some of his videos, he'll share a link to like the raw file or the JPEG, whatever he was using, and I'll download it and I'll just step by step follow what they do because I have the exact same experience. Like, hey, that looks cool. But there's always those little tiny things like, oh, the layer was supposed to be here in a different blending mode or he had a different setting on his brush. Yeah. And then I find that frustrating. <laughs> it's maddening. But after so many hours of just doing it, because I'll do that for, I have done portraits like on a professional paid basis. Almost all of my business is real estate, but I will go through and I'll follow people doing tutorials for landscape portraits. Really getting into using Photoshop to create compositing, take random photos of different things and then make this interesting. Like I did this one where I made it like my kid was floating in outer space next to a satellite or something, you know. But following tutorials and doing that has helped me improve how I edit my real estate photos too, because I've brought over a lot of those tricks. I created a YouTube channel, full-time real estate photographer is the YouTube channel. And then there's another one under my name, Thomas Vargelettis. Under mine, I'm mostly sharing like my real estate videos. I did a little audio comparison of the very mics that we're using right now. On the real estate photographer channel, I've got a couple of my Photoshop videos up of like a couple of little things that I do. One of the things you'll see is that I'll have a curves layer with color adjustments. I learned that from some guy that did it on a landscape, right? And I was like, man, that's a great idea. I'm going to do that. Sometimes I like to add a little contrast, a little extra contrast. And again, on a totally separate, I think it was like a portrait or something, this guy created a merged layer, moved it into the overlay blending mode, and then brought down the opacity a lot. And when you do that, when you have that layer in overlay and bring the opacity down, you know, 30, 40%, you add a bunch of contrast in this non-destructive, really interesting way that you can then brush in and out as you need with a mask. And I just found that, I mean, there's other ways to do it, of course, you could do it with a curves layer too, but I thought that was really neat. So it's actually in my Photoshop actions. So yeah, it's great how much you can learn. 
learn just by watching other people do stuff. You know, people just take the time to create sometimes great lessons, and I've just found it absolutely helpful. Yeah, it's awesome. People do that all around the world. Did, did you know that you can batch process things in Photoshop? I mean, you know about making your own Photoshop actions, right? I'm aware of it, that it exists. <laughs> yes. But I have never actually tried to do that on Photoshop. I've done that only in Lightroom. Oh, yeah. Lightroom presets. Yeah. God, yeah, I love that. I can't live without it. It saves me a ton of time. Well, let me save you even more time. If you come up with a preset that does basically all of the necessary color and exposure adjustments that you want, and then you go through manually tweak them very quickly, say after a photo shoot, because I don't know about you, but when I'm done with a photo shoot, I bracket three exposures plus my flash frames. And sometimes I'll take multiple flash frames, especially if I needed to do window pulls and things like that. So I'll come home and I'm delivering 30 images or 30 to 35 usually to the client. I'm taking off my SD card, something like 300 or more. And that's a lot, right? But I'll go through, I'll pick the best ambient that I want. And then I'll pick the flashes that I want select them all in Lightroom, hit them with a preset, and then I will bring all of them over in Photoshop as layers, right? So like shot of the kitchen, all those images into Photoshop as a layer. And I don't let Photoshop take over. You know how when you, you know, right click, send it as layers into Photoshop, like Photoshop pops up. I won't let it take over like that. I'll keep clicking on Lightroom until I get every single shot imported into Photoshop in its own independent tab. And from there, you can click on File, I think it's File Batch Automate, and you can have Photoshop play an action for every single open tab. It blasts through all of those images. It's crazy. And then if you have a computer with a decent amount of RAM, it does it way faster than you could have. And then from there, you know, make manual brush adjustments, individually editing whatever might need it. And then you save it, close that tab, and move on to the next one. You can blaze through photo shoots like so fast when you do that. I need to learn all of these tricks. I have like three or four videos on the full-time real estate photographer channel right now. So on those, I don't show that entire workflow because it's like so many steps. I don't do all my editing anymore. I have editors. So if they send me like the last example that I did, there's a lot of flash glare on the wooden cabinets and there's a threshold in the corner and then you can see like a staircase and then past that you can see the living room on the far side of the house looked a little dark to me. So I just went through, I made those edits and I use that same technique of hitting it with an action. I always do that for every single photo, bring it into Photoshop, hit it with an action. Man, it's so fast. And I used to actually save those videos just for my editors because I have a couple different people doing different things. And as they need a little, you know, tip like, hey, you didn't do this right. Because, you know, people don't always follow instructions. They don't have the same vision you do. <laughs> no, they don't. Yeah, that was really difficult actually letting go of that kind of work. But it's a time thing for me. I want to do more photo shoots. I want to do more podcasts. And then, you know, I showed you around the office here. I've got other things going on too, so. And a friend of mine recommended that to me, just the concept of someone else doing some of the editing. And I am open to that because I want to take pictures <laughs> and yeah, not spend so much time in front of an editor. Because it can legit take, like, even though what I described to you that, like, sounds fast, it's like an hour or two hours of editing. You were just saying like a couple days, so that might sound fast to you. But for me, that's like two eternities. I can't stand it. You know, I really enjoy doing it, but when there's so much else to do. So Mauricio, I'm curious, how do you do your data management? When you deliver your files, how are you doing that? Google Photos. Google Photos, not Google Drive. No, Google Photos. Really? 
What made you choose Google Photos? Uh, I'd been using Google Photos and it worked for me before I started doing real estate photography for other jobs, for other projects. So I just kept using it. I liked that I could just easily create an album, share it, control the access a bit. I didn't even know that Google Photos was a thing until you just said that. How do you control the access? I could share a link. I could share the photos all together. And I believe within there, I can control what they can do with it. Like if they can download them or not? I think that they could usually download them. And I'm fine with that if because I'm sending it to my client. But yeah, it does pretty much whatever I need. I know there are better things out there, but I don't want to think about it right now. I would want to take the pictures, finally get through processing it, send it. Yeah, no, that's definitely the right mentality. Man, there's so much, you know, your camera, your tripod, your flash, your triggers, your lenses, and that's just what you take with you. Then there's the computers, the software, there's so much. It's better to just, if you get something that works good, stick with it. Yeah. Until I could think about changing, you know? Yeah. Until you have the bandwidth to actually focus on it. And is that the approach that you've had this entire time? Have you just focused on one thing to improve and then kind of moved on once you got it down? Not necessarily. I think that would be smart. But the first thing I focused on was my time in the house, in the place that I'm photographing. And the reason is because if I don't take good pictures, there's nothing I could do on a computer later. And also if I'm there, the real estate agent is usually a friend of mine, but I still want to leave them with a good impression. Sometimes the homeowner is there around and I need to be quick. I need to be professional, you know, so I wanted to get that kind of squared away as quickly as possible. Then the second thing was just really basic things in Lightroom and Photoshop. So basic blending, make sure the pictures look good when I deliver them and stuff like that. And now I usually identify a problem that's really causing trouble and getting in the way of my productivity or the having the results that I want. And then I try to focus on that. I go to YouTube, see what I can learn. (laughs) It's like better than going to school, honestly, because it's so up to date. Now, anything specific come to mind as far as an obstacle that you had to focus on recently? I think blending has been a challenge. Blending layers, because I didn't know how to do any of that before I first started taking pictures of houses. And then I realized I need to learn and I need to learn quick. So it'll be great once I learn really how to kind of harness it. So yeah, to use it to its fullest potential. Wait till you go home and start hitting those, you know, because you get to save an action, of course. If you have a routine kind of process for editing your photos, if it's two steps, if it's 10 steps, if it's 100 steps, but it's pretty consistent, you can record it as an action, save it, label it, go to your next file and hit play on that action and it will just do it for you. Go and see how that affects your turnaround time. That's going to be awesome. When I first did it, it like blew my mind. You said you shoot in your own house. Do you practice like different types of shots? Sometimes. Sometimes see if I can maximize the view from the window while I'm taking a picture of the kitchen or something like that. Sometimes just playing around with different levels, heights for my camera. Sometimes it's more in the staging. How would this look? Should I move my camera up if I have these two things on the counter or should I keep it down? Yes, you get a really analytical approach to it. For maximizing the view through the window, that was one of the first videos that I posted on the full-time real estate photographer channel. It was this like tiny little kitchen, but there's a neat little rope swing out in the backyard. And you can watch the video and I show you how to do it. I put the camera up against the glass, took a photo, like zoomed in onto that tree, and then perfectly brought that shot 
Because if you were standing in the kitchen looking out the window, that's what you would see with your own human eyes, right? So when you're looking at the photo of the kitchen, you're really getting, you know, the full experience of actually being there because you have that view that you would see, right? Because probably the reason why you tried that in the first place, because you take the photo and then, you know, these big, amazing things right outside the window look like they're a thousand miles away, right? The way our minds process information and then the way a camera does is a little bit different. So that's a way you can get around. Never even thought of that. That never crossed my mind. Use the view, but in a zoomed in one. Yeah, you'll like that. It's easier than you'd think. If you understand how to use your pen tool or your quick selection tool and create a layer mask, you'll be able to do it. It's like you don't need advanced Photoshop skills, but you do have to take the image, of course. One extra step on site. For image height and perspective, do you have a default height on your camera when you're setting it up? I usually try to find the largest surface, a counter, table, a bed, something like that, and try to get just above that. You don't have like, and the reason why I ask, like you don't have any markings in your tripod or anything that you always set it to? No. So you're going for a custom height for every single room, every shot? Yes. So once I set up something that seems to work, because I just haven't thought of it that way, I'll adjust as needed. Yeah. I'll give you another time-saving tip. There's a light switch on the wall right there. So I set my camera to be just about as high as the light switch. And generally, I'm good, except for kitchens. I don't like to see the undersides of cabinets. So I will raise it up just a little bit first kitchen specifically, but every single shot, unless I have a specific request, like I was just at a listing in Princeton the other day, Princeton, Massachusetts. If you know Massachusetts, you know it's just as far in the middle of nowhere as it sounds. The floor of the kitchen was a, it used to be a bowling alley in the 1800s. Yeah, there was a big hotel and the house there was the bowling alley off of the hotel. The hotel is gone. It burned down or something a hundred years ago. They had a picture of the hotel and the bowling alley from the 1800s. I could not believe it. But the boards, the floorboards were the bowling alley floorboards. Did they have the markings and everything? No, they're kind of like two by fours stacked vertically, something like that. Well, oh, not, yeah, not that wide, like thinner. Yeah, super interesting. And how they incorporated the house around this bowling alley. So I had the camera like zoomed all the way out and like two inches off the floor. <laughs> so not actually that far, but like all you see is floor you know, and only because the agent insisted on it. We have to show the floor. Can you get something down low? So what camera did you say you're using? I use a Sony A7R3. A7R3. Oh, okay. So it's full frame. Have you ever adapted a tilt shift onto that? I have not. Now that's going to change your life. So I don't use a tilt shift because I like it takes a couple extra seconds to reset your dials in between shots and they're really expensive. So I was like, screw that. I'm going to go fast and dirty and cheap and just get a really tall tripod when I need it. But so a tilt shift is you're not familiar with that at all, are you? I'm familiar with the concept. I've never used one. A little bit. Okay. So yeah. So in practice, so you set your camera height to get the perspective that you want. And then you can shift the lens up and down to adjust your composition. For example, if you wanted a clear view of the top of a table, but if you put your camera that high, it like cuts off the whole bottom of the island or the kitchen table, whatever it is. You can maintain that perspective where you're looking up. You can see across the whole top of the table, and then you can change your composition down. A good way to imagine this is if you took like a really, really wide shot, but then you just kind of cropped in on it. Like you took a wide photo, you can see all the way floor to ceiling, but then you just like crop down out of the ceiling so you focus. Like you have that perspective and you have that kind of a composition, but without cropping in and losing pixels. 
So it's kind of like editing it or using Lightroom to get that effect, but you don't actually have to cut out any of the picture. Pretty similar. I mean, it's, you know, someone who really understands the science of it better than me is probably having a heart attack by the way I explained it. But as far as what you see, it's like having your camera up at that height, at that perspective. And then, you know, instead of having that super wide shot, it's like cropping in and really focusing on the important details, you know, and you can still see the tops of the table or really high ceilings. You can shift up. So you don't have to tilt your camera. And that's another thing. It helps you with the vertical. So if you want to get something in like a really high ceiling and you don't have a tilt shift, you are basically limited to zooming all the way out. And if that's not enough, doing a pano, a panorama, taking several photos or tilting your camera and then adjusting the verticals in post. So there's multiple ways to do that. But when you start messing around with the image file and you start warping it or cropping, you're losing resolution. And with a tilt shift, you can take full advantage of your camera sensors resolution. You're not going to have to warp or distort or crop way in on anything. You get that composition. So a tilt shift is really good. It's expensive. They're not cheap and you'd have to adapt it. But I mean, luckily tilt shifts are all manual anyway. So, you know, because when you adapt, sometimes you lose the autofocus. Something that's worth looking into. So I mentioned Rich Baum. I know he uses tilt. I follow him on Instagram. A lot of his photos and his feed are tilt shift. And you can tell with that look. It's almost like you're looking down over something, but you're not because you're limited in the composition and how it's cropped. I've heard about them in the capacity of real estate photography. I just actually I haven't even seen the results of them, you know, or like a side by side comparison or anything like that. It's a really like niche thing within real estate and architecture photography. So unless you were just had this unlimited playlist going, you'd have to seek it out because not all photographers use tilt shift. For example, I don't. Right. I'm able to work within, you know, my limitations and get a pretty good result. But then other photographers are like, you know, I can't do it without a tilt shift because you just get such a cool cool, interesting way to frame your shots, you know, and keep those verticals perfect. So when you're taking exteriors, how are you doing it? Are you hand-holding? Are you using your tripod outside? Tripod. I still use my tripod and I usually, depends, sometimes I could just take it at about eye level, sometimes a little lower and sometimes just try to get it as high as I can. Do you find you have to tilt your camera up? Sometimes. Sometimes I do. But it often depends on what's around. So imagine if, you know, if you had a tilt shift instead of having to tip the camera up. So what I use is I use a pole. I have a monopod, a really long monopod, and I have a wireless trigger on my camera. I have heard of someone putting your camera on time-lapse mode and then just hitting the start on the time-lapse and then moving your camera up if you don't want to trigger it remotely kind of pointing the camera in the general direction of what you want, taking a few shots, taking it down, stopping the time-lapse, reviewing them and making adjustments. So that's one way to do that. But I have a wireless trigger and then I put the camera way up. So I'm able to have the camera lens about dead center of the mass of the house when I take the photo. So you don't have to worry about tipping up or cutting off the roof or having like the grass take up 90% of the frame, you know, those, those kinds of issues. That's a great way to deal with that. Do you ever tether your camera when you're doing that or do you just kind of... You know, I love playing around with tethering in the studio. I do try to dabble in other types of photography. I have tried like my own little version of product photography and portraits and things at home. So yeah, I like to tether there just for the speed of me, you know, being able to see compositions and make quick edits and then saying, no, I want to go back to this, whatever. But on location, no, not really. Cam Ranger is coming out with Sony support soon. I heard recently, like 
late 2018 that Cam Ranger was going to come out with support for Sony. So you could tether. And that's a great, a lot of, especially real estate photographers use Cam Rangers. I might if I had a Sony or a Canon, but my camera, I have the little flippy screen. So I just, you know, I point the screen wherever it's convenient for me to see. I set up the camera and check my composition that way. Do you have a Cam Ranger? No, I don't. Do you tether? Sometimes I do, but it's usually just when I'm playing around with product photography as well. Yeah, at home, because it's like so inconvenient. So actually, you can get a laptop mounting bracket for your tripod. You can also get like a little laptop stand that can go on a light stand as well. But still, that'd be so clunky because I want to do my photo shoots within 20 minutes, right? If it's taking me 10, 15 minutes to get all those photos in, I'm like sweating. I'm like, Jesus, why is it taking so long? I've got five more shoots to do. But yeah, there's a lot of advantages to tethering. I actually learned about it watching YouTube videos of people doing portraits. <laughs> so yeah, it's really interesting. And it's fun when you're doing it at home. How are you triggering your camera? Are you touching it? Are you hitting the button? Usually I do. I just got a remote. That's not my first remote trigger, just I haven't gotten the other ones to work. So this one that I just got is finally working. But what I was doing before is setting it on a timer. So I'd hit the button and then just giving it a minute, you know, the five seconds, something like that. So vibration stopped and that was it. Those seconds add up. I know what you're talking about because you don't want the camera shake. Yeah, using a wireless trigger, that saves you a ton of time. Do you know what the range is on that too? No, I don't. Do you remember the, the model number by chance? It came with a grip. Oh, the battery grip? Yeah, the battery grip. Oh, oh, yeah. so it was like a package deal. You yeah. got a battery grip for your camera with a remote. Exactly. I didn't oh. even know the remote was coming, and then okay. there it was. Oh, what a, what a nice surprise. I wonder if it's the same one that I'm using. I love it. I've used that thing for years. It's like falling apart. I'm holding them together, both of them, my trigger and my receiver, I'm holding them together with rubber bands. When you're triggering them remotely, if you have a flash, you can actually walk around the room and hit it with, you know, multiple angles if you want. If you want to go crazy like Mike Kelly and you could flash. Mike Kelly is a architectural photographer. He has a lot of training. There's some YouTube stuff too, but he has a lot of paid courses. I have all of them except for a couple from F-Stoppers, I think. But yeah, he likes to individually flash everything. And his stuff comes out awesome, especially in his little tutorial videos. Just the look that you get is incredible. I might have seen some of his stuff and he'll take like 10 shots of a single room or a single space. More. And then blend them together. There's a video that I have of his where he did like a restaurant. It was a room inside the restaurant. There was a couple like booth areas. And then there was, you know, like the general seating area, a bunch of tables. And he went through and he took a flash frame for every single chair, all the tabletops, everything. It was nuts. But the photo came out. It was worth it. Yeah, sometimes the work pays off. If you ever put a lot of work into a photo, certain that it's going to come out awesome. And then it just sucked. Of course. Yeah. Pretty frustrating. Yeah. And over time, I just got used to it. I used to get upset over that. I used to get really frustrated with it. And now was what it was. (laughs) When do you find that that's happening? Is it on some real estate shots or other types of things? It could be anything. I overlooked something. It didn't click the way I had thought it would. And that's why I usually take a few different shots because just in case I have some options and it doesn't really cost me too much extra time. I'll take the shot that I wanted and then adjust one or two things, take a couple more shots and then move on. When you're saying adjust things, are you adjusting composition or things in the frame? It could be either. 
I'll do that with like furniture and things yeah, in the room. Exactly. I'll do that all the time. I liked how this looked, but what if I move this, take a picture, we'll see later which one I like yeah. more. But sometimes I'll move the tripod and the camera to another angle just in case. Maybe, you know, looking at the small screen in the back of my camera, I'm not 100% certain that it turned out well. And maybe I'll try this other thing here too, just in case. And like I said, have some options. Sometimes I'll do that. Very rarely. I feel like when you're doing a lot of photo shoots, you get a pretty good idea of what compositions you want. You know, like I know without even seeing a house, I know I'm going to get somewhere between 10 and 12 exteriors, one shot per bathroom, two per bedrooms, three to four per living space slash kitchen dining area. And if there's other interesting things, maybe I'll get a couple other shots like that. But yeah, sometimes like that bowling alley house, I was like, man, how can I, because I wanted to get more, because it didn't just have a bowling alley floor. It also was built into the side of this, like, not a mountain, but this long, tall hill. And you had a clean line of sight to Boston, 60 miles away, 50 miles away. And you could see it just off in the distance. I'm like, how can I get this floor and that view through the window? Because you know I took a bunch of shots, like, you know, zoomed way in. So that I took way more than, than normal. Mostly I have it down, like a system. Right, right. And I don't think I have that experience yet. And that's why I tell my friends that I'm doing this. I will work out that agreement. No pressure. Just if you like it, pay me. If you don't like it, don't worry about it. And hit them with those puppy dog eyes. Yeah, so they're going to pay you no matter what. Yeah, right. <laughs> So I want that experience because I can't yet walk into a room and know exactly what I want. I'm developing that. And that's part of why it takes me a while to do everything. Yeah, it definitely takes you longer at first. Yeah. Definitely. I always found that funny. You get paid less when it takes you more time to do something. <laughs> well, it's not necessarily true. So I'm a huge advocate. Like, I don't think you should be doing the pay me if you want to model. I think that you should try and charge a fair rate because you're still doing the work. And if they hate it, I mean, my policy is like, if I deliver the images and they look good to any reasonable person, you're paying for them and my job is done. But if I take a photo and, you know, I really didn't do a good job or, you know, you were really disappointed with it, I'll just go and retake it. But you're still paying me, <laughs> right? If it's something like that and they're really distraught and this happens, you know, once or twice a year, maybe if that, you know, I won't charge them for it. Yeah. I won't charge them extra. But for pretty much everybody else, because you're still doing the work, you know, you're providing a valuable service. And you know how much money they're making when they right. sell that house? They can afford a photo shoot. No, and I don't disagree. I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with that approach. I find that for right now, this is what's working for me because it is still not something that I'm focusing all my time in or anything like that. It's something that I don't want it to cause me a lot of stress. So I found something that for right now works. But absolutely, I think if someone is doing the work, they should get paid for it. Yeah, because yeah. it's not like you're wasting your time. You know, you're helping them sell the house. They're going to use those photos to make five, seven, ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000. That condo in East Boston we mentioned before, that's a big fat commission. Like that little thing, and you know, it's because you're 10 minutes from the airport, like you're paying for it. And the commissions are good. Did you do the inside of that condo? Yeah, yeah. The one that was the rainy day. Yeah. And you could see like the water drops on the window. Yeah, yeah, that was the one. Did you see the chalkboard wall? Yes. Yeah, in the kitchen. So I actually photographed that mural because okay. they were actually, I don't know if it was still on the wall when you photographed it, but there was kind of like, it was a history of this homeowner's time there. I wonder if it was. I think it had been washed. It Probably. Probably if it was already going to be sold. And that took me a while because I'd never done something like that before. And so I find that the more I get to practice something, 
the quicker I am, the better it is. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Yeah, practice, you can't beat that. So the more things I come across, the more I learn, the easier it is to adapt and everything. So and throws you off like yeah. that. Yeah, when you start incorporating Flash, that is going to help you a lot. Because so weird, unusual situations like that can throw you off. But when you have a system where you can repeatedly get a well-lit, good-looking exposure, no matter what time of day it is, no matter what kind of a room that you're shooting, that's going to help you be able to spend a lot more time thinking creatively about shots like that. Ever had to do a log cabin? I have not. Now that's a tricky lighting situation because everything's brown when you use the flash. For that, all you need to do is just get a little softbox or some white foam core if you're on a budget and flash things directly. Okay. A lot of the times you want to bounce your flash off the ceiling to diffuse the light in the room. Right. But if it's brown. <laughs> but if the ceiling is brown, or sometimes people go crazy, they let their kids paint the room. They let the, like the six-year-old choose the colors and they paint the ceiling blue or red. Have you ever seen those I, rooms? I photographed some rooms that were some interesting colors. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One time I didn't notice the ceiling was like blue, but all the walls were blue and none of the lights worked in the room. It was just dark. I was like, whatever, I'll hit it with the flash. And then it looked like I took a photo inside of a fish tank. Yeah, those challenging kind of situations, pulling out the flash basically solves your problems. And I mean, when you diffuse the light and flash the objects directly, you're getting proper colors. That solves that problem. And what kind of diffusion do you use for your flash? So almost never do I need it, but except in those specific circumstances. So I have two go-to things. The first thing that I used was a, it's like a Neewer five-in-one reflector thing. It was like $20 and it's just this collapsible... You know, like a pop-up tent, right? It's a thing like that. It like expands up to this disc and the disc itself is like a translucent white sheet. And then it has the case that zips over it. Like one side's black, one side's white, yeah. one side's gold, one side's silver. So I use the white side and then I hold it up wherever I want and then point the flash at it and trigger it. So I have a flash on a flash stand, you know, the trigger in one hand and then the reflector in the other hand. So I set it up like that. I take the flash and check it. And that's how I used to do it. That's how I started doing it. And that worked great. But it's too much time, too much work, too much clunky stuff. So when I needed it, I'd have to go and get the thing and unzip it. And it was like this big pain in the butt. So now I have a little tiny softbox, like that translucent diffusion sheet inside the five-in-one. It's like that. It's like a white thing. It's in this hexagonal black canvas like sheath or something. And then it like Velcros onto the flash. It's so cheap. It's tiny. It packs flat inside my camera bag or my Pelican case. I don't have a bag anymore. And yeah, that I can just pull it out, use it if I need it, and then throw it back. It takes no time. That's pretty much it. I mean, most of the time you can bounce flash. A lot of the times what I'll do is I'll bounce the flash off of something else. I'll find just a neutral colored thing in the room and I'll just like, well, I'll point the flash to that and see what happens. A lot of time it works. <laughs> Which is kind of funny because people look at you weird. You know, they're like taking a photo in the kitchen. Kitchen's got like a yellow ceiling from all the cigarette smoke. And they're like, why are you putting the light at the fridge? And so I'm like, hey, take a look at the back of the camera. Yeah. Why? Well, about 6,000 cartons of camels. Why? That's how I've done most of my flash photography is just when I needed to fill something. 
And what I want to get into is more filling in all the corners and really compositing everything, several photos together. It's hard to get proper light in the entire room and to make it look supernatural. So, But you don't always have to do that. Have you ever got like a real estate or architectural magazine or look at photos online yeah. and study how they're made? Yeah. You'll see this all the time. I get Architectural Digest and like a lot of these really high-end, super luxury homes, they're not getting just any idiot off the street to do the photos, right? They're getting reputable high-end photographers and they're taking like very heavy ambient exposures. I mean, they're definitely using flash because you don't have color casting problems and you don't have like too dark shadows. Like they're great quality images, but you know, sometimes they just leave the shadows in or they use them to add depth to the image. So when I first got a flash, everything, everything had to be bright. Everything had to be bright. Like the sun was in the room and you know, I don't do that quite so much anymore. It was looking at those images and looking at photographers, like I mentioned before, and their work. That really helps. I will definitely be spending a lot of time on YouTube looking at everything. Yeah, it's great. You learn so much. You learn so much. And I've been enjoying that process. I've really been enjoying the process of learning and experimenting and just learning about light and how it'll fill a room. (laughs) Well, Mauricio, I want to thank you for your time. I think we've run out of time. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Yes, it was a pleasure having you in. I'm glad we could finally connect. I know we've been kind of randomly emailing each other back and forth forever. But yeah, I want to thank you for coming down. It was a lot of fun. Likewise. Thank you very much. And that's our episode. Really glad that we could have Mauricio come into the office for the interview. It's so interesting to learn about how other photographers are working in their business, how they're getting their appointments. It's something that's just fascinating to me because we've all kind of found our own special little ways of doing it. You heard Mauricio, he mostly is getting his clients from Sphere of Influence. For me, that's almost none of my client base. When you think about it, I got started in photography without really knowing anybody anyway, so I guess it all kind of makes sense. So if anybody wanted to reach out to me directly, you can actually find me on Instagram. You can search Tom Vargeletis, T-O-M-V-A-R-G-E-L-E-T-I-S. On Instagram, you'll see my feed, my photos, be able to contact me there. You could also send me an email. You can reach me at Tom at F-T-R-E-Photo.com. Always looking for some interesting questions to bring up on future episodes. If you are local, we could set up an interview just like we did here with Mauricio. We'd be really happy to get some photographers on here who've been, you know, new to the game, just like Mauricio, or maybe some more seasoned professionals who can show me all the mistakes that I've been making up until now. And... Again, any comments or feedback would be really appreciated. How is your listening experience? Let me know. And for all appropriate comments and questions, I'll, of course, read off your name so you know where it came from. All right, so that's it. Really look forward to hearing from you guys soon. We'll catch you on the next one.